I love the win at Daytona. Add another win to the Earnhardt column. Dale Earnhardt Jr. in his final race at Daytona. Coverage begins Saturday, July 1st at 7 p.m. Eastern on NBC. Hello, everyone. Josh Norris here with another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. Let's do a new kind of podcast for this one, a new kind of episode. So, as you know, as I've discussed with Evan and many other people, and if you follow me at Josh Norris on Twitter, you know I post these as well. I've been doing a lot of best ball leagues, specifically MFL 10s and MFL 25s. I thought it would be interesting, creative, unique to maybe do a full episode based on one draft. So for those of you who are participating can hear my thought process for all 20 rounds. And for those that have never taken the dive into these off-season best ball leagues, it, it gives you an opportunity to see what they're like. And, you know, I started doing them last summer and I'm hooked. I'm addicted. They are so much fun. Basically, what it comes down to, you create and draft a roster of 20 players, quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, and defenses, no kickers. And the point and the difference in comparison to other leagues, all that you do is draft them. It picks your best scores each week and creates your optimal lineup, hence best ball. So, this will take a few weeks. Usually they take around three weeks or four weeks based on it being a slow draft via email through Snake, via myfantasyleague.com. So, as I mentioned, I'll take you through all 20 rounds, probably share my thought process, some picks beforehand that I was looking to target, some picks afterwards that I might have in mind later on since this will obviously come out after this draft is completed. I'm starting this on June 13th, just to let you know, and it'll probably end, like I said, in a few weeks. So I was lucky enough to get pick number 10 in the first round. To update you on the picks that have been selected before me, Zeke Elliott went one, David Johnson two, Le'Veon Bell three, Antonio Brown four, Odell five, Julio six, Devante seven, Mike Evans eight, and Melvin Gordon, nine. So here I am at number 10. I don't think I've drafted out of the 10th slot yet. So it's always fun. And it's, it's funny because I, I actually feel like I've drafted out of the 6th or the 4th slot about 75% of the times in these leagues. Obviously, A.J. Green is out there, Amari Cooper, Michael Thomas. But I want to go in a different direction. All those wide receiver names are still on the board here at number 10. I want to start with a running back. And it's either going to be between LaShawn McCoy or, honestly, Jay Ajayi. But I am partial to LaShawn McCoy because of the obvious receiving ability. Not too much has been added to that offensive style. And we know that the team, obviously, it's a different structure of the team in terms of the front office and the coaching staff. But I would expect the theoretical and philosophical approach to the offense to be very, very similar. And that's all going to ride through LaShawn McCoy. I mean, McCoy had an outstanding season last year, and I would just expect him to build off of it. Sure, I understand that he's older than a lot of these other running backs, but I think he's one of the true foundation backs and workhorse backs that we look for uh, when selecting a running back early. And then obviously I'll dip and dive into that receiver class as we go along. So here at 110, I'm selecting LaShawn McCoy. All right, we are back for pick 203, which 
I guess, in translations, the third pick of the second round. Um, I should have intro this better, but I didn't. So now, retroactively going back and saying that I will be recording this from all different places. So if the sound for different picks sound different, that is why. I could be out getting groceries. I could be at work. I could be, you know, out on a walk with my dog. Um, just anywhere that I have this phone and can use the My Fantasy League site, I will make my picks. Um, so here we are at 203. As you heard at 110 when I selected LaShawn McCoy, I was debating between McCoy and Jay Ajayi with the focus being a receiver in the second round. So after my pick at 110, A.J. Green went at 11, and then at the turn was Michael Thomas, Jordan Howard, and then Jordy Nelson at 202. So at 203, Jay Ajayi is right there for the taking. Obviously, there are plenty of receivers still available. Amari Cooper, T.Y. Hilton, DeAndre Hopkins. But I feel confident in my ability from rounds three through six or seven, just doing all of these MFLs, that I feel like I can get a number of quality receivers in that area. Like I said, I haven't picked from 110 yet, but I, I truly think that I can just load up at the receiver positions and then get two foundation pieces, two focal points of backfields, which are so tough to come by in the NFL now with LaShawn McCoy, who is a pass catcher as well. And with Jay Ajayi with the Miami Dolphins, which we know is going to be a run oriented attack as well as downfield shots. But I also think that Jay Ajayi's ex- receiving role is going to expand as well. I thought it was a good receiving back at Boise State. It hasn't come necessarily into fruition so far with the Dolphins, but everything and all the buzz, which is really what we have to connect the dots here early on, again, on June 13th. His his receiving role is going to expand. So here, 110, LaShawn McCoy, 203 is going to be Jay Ajayi. I'll catch you on the third round pick. So now at 310, I have some bad news. <laughs> My plan did not work. Uh, after taking two running backs, and hoping for wide receivers, you know, in rounds three through seven or eight, something like that. There are zero wide receivers at this position that I covet and that I rank in this area. Sammy Watkins went off the board, Keenan Allen, Allen Robinson, Brandon Cooks, Jarvis Landry, all gone. Doug Baldwin, all gone. Um, I have never started an MFL with three running backs but it's going to happen here. And that's kind of the fun part of best ball leagues, right? It's once you draft them, you don't have to worry about picking two or three of the right ones in the lineup. The right ones are there. So I'm honestly comfortable having multiple talents, top talents at the running back position. It just kind of feels like a waste. It feels like it's back in 2005 with stacking running backs at the top and then going from there. But again, I I feel like all three of these running backs, starting with LaShawn, then going with Ajayi, and now I truly think at 310, Isaiah Crowell is the pick. Robert Gronkowski's off the board. I'm certainly not going to go quarterback in this area. Just theoretically, if I were to go wide receiver, Alshon Jeffrey, Devontae Adams, Stephon Diggs, Terrell Pryor, Tyreek Hill, Dante Moncrief, all in that same area for me. So I know one will be there in the fourth round for me to take, and one doesn't separate themselves right now, but a running back does separate himself. And again, it's Isaiah Crowell. This is a team, the Browns, who ran the ball extremely well to open the season last year, who have added a ton of offensive line talent 
this offseason, one of the best offensive lines on paper in the NFL. Obviously, they have some nice receiving options, but the quarterback play is still subpart. Hugh Jackson's even come out in recent weeks, and I know now we're on June 14th in recent weeks saying that he wants to um, emphasize the run even more often. And Isaiah Corral didn't even top 200 carries last season, and I would expect him to exceed that, albeit if he's healthy. Um, in, in 2017. So here with the pick at 310, looking ahead to 403 to then take a wide receiver. But at 310, it's going to be Isaiah Crowell with the Browns. All right, everyone, we are back with the fourth round. Let me fill you in what's happened since I took Isaiah Crowell at pick 310 in this MFL. Marshawn Lynch, 311. Jamison Crowder, 312. Stephon Diggs, 401 at the turn. And then Aaron Rodgers at 402. So I have a ton of wide receivers to pick from. And what's fascinating and interesting, again, about this is that I I have never started running back, running back, running back in an MFL, right? That I get to experiment and try and attempt all these different lineups in MFL best ball situations. And this is the time to do it. Not necessarily in your snake drafts where you have to pick the lineup each and every week. Testing out different lineups in terms of process of drafting in these MFLs is the way to do it. So I know that I'm skipping over the running back tab, that I'm going to go straight to wide receiver. Alshon Jeffrey, Devontae Adams, Terrell Pryor, Tyreek Hill, Dante Moncrief, Michael Crabtree, Golden Tate, Martavis Bryant, Devontae Parker are all on the board. And I know Devontae Parker apparently is headed to Canton after his OTAs this year. But I'm shooting for upside, you know? I I want someone that can, even though I'm selecting in round four, potentially be a top 12 scoring wide receiver option. Of those names that I just mentioned, I honestly think Tyreek Hill has the most upside of that group in terms of elevating himself into a role he did not have last year, had 85 touches last season, and now is the number one option at receiver. I know that obviously Travis Kelsey is still there, and the running back situation might be in a bit more flux after the team added Kareem Hunt. But Tyreek Hill is an explosive player. We saw what Matt Harmon did in terms of his reception perception and charted Tyreek Hill saying, hey, he actually wins with wide receiver skills which is great. Um, and, and I think he could really emerge as a focal point of that offense because like we talked about in the last podcast with Roto Pat and Ray and Evan, that if Tyreek Hill, his strengths match up with Alex Smith's strengths. And again, we're talking about explosive players here that I'm selecting my first wide receiver in round four, but I'm hoping to maybe have them to get to a top 12 wide receiver scoring status by the end of the season. At the very least, you're getting Tyreek Hill, who will have weeks of 15, maybe even 20-point weeks. And so you know he's going to be in your lineup in those since his best ball. Once again, Tyreek Hill is the pick at 403. Okay, so back with pick 5, 10. I think in 75% of my MFLs, I target Greg Olson as my tight end. That has to be in round, usually early round 5. And I was sweating it out with this one that somehow, I don't know how, fell to the 10th pick here. And luckily enough, somehow, I am joined by Panthers beat writer Jordan Rodrigue of the Charlotte Observer. And Jordan, I have a question. Obviously, Greg Olson has posted a ton of production in the last few years. Over a 1,000 receiving yards in three straight seasons, correct? That's correct. That's but, very astounding. 
do, Josh. But there are more mouths to feed, which is a quote that gets thrown around every single year with many teams this season. Curtis Samuel and Chris McCaffrey catching passes. So my question to you, now that he is on my team, will Greg Olson still get his? Absolutely he will. Greg Olson is going to be Cam Newton's favorite target for as long as Greg Olson is in the league. It's not just that he's reliable, it's also that he has this uncanny knack for widening his reception window. When Cam Newton is unsure about a throw, Greg Olson is going to pull in that throw. And that's why Greg Olson is going to keep having these insanely productive years and keep being the, the number one guy that Cam Newton's looking for. And at this point, I mean, even if you have two rookies on the team, Curtis Samuel and Christian McCaffrey, it doesn't really matter if, you know, they're supposed to be the the, the new, you know, blazing, shining stars on the roster. The, the Cam Newton, of the offense. Cam Newton is going to go with what he's comfortable with and what he knows gets production. And, and at times that's going to be Christian and Curtis, yes. But most of the time it's still going to be Greg Olson because Greg Olson still got it. And I even go back to their post-draft press conferences where Ron and Dave talked about how adding Christian and adding Curtis opened things up for Greg Olson. They even said that. And it's not like the two receivers on the outside are dependable. I'll say that because you can't not necessarily say that. But those guys just aren't. I mean, they are slow, lethargic receivers, and that's just who they are. They have to win big because they are big and they don't do that consistently. So would you expect the same numbers, the same production? I mean, they're probably going to use them in the same exact manner. Nothing's going to change for Greg Olson here in 2017. Yeah, I think they're going to use him. Uh, I, I would definitely expect the same production from Greg Olson in, in 2017. And I also think that it's important to note that when we're in, in uh, minicamp these last few days and watching Greg Olson and watching Christian McCaffrey and watching Curtis Samuel, the defense is always aware where Curtis Samuel is. They're always aware of where Christian McCaffrey is, and they're calling it out. They're calling 22, 22, 22, and pointing him out wherever he's on the field. If he's in motion or in a in a um, in a defensive or in a in a fake or in any, any sort of um, any front that might try to confuse the defense, they're still watching where he is, and that frees up Greg Olson to wreak havoc on whatever mismatch he set up um, to go against. And I think that's really positive for him. I think Greg Olson knows exactly how much having guys that you the defense always has to account for in Curtis and Christian. I think Greg Olson knows exactly how much that helps him and I think he's gonna have a heck of a year. So once again at 510 Greg Olson was the pick. I most likely try to pair him later on with Cameron Bright which I've done in almost every single MFL so far. Um, we'll have to stay tuned to see what happens. Thanks Jordan. Okay so at 603 I know I have to get another wide receiver. I started again to recap running back running back running back with LaShawn, JJ and Isaiah Crowell. Then I go with Tyreek, who's not necessarily a boomer bust, but certainly high variance than someone that is consistent that we've seen do it for years and years and years. And obviously I was plugged into Greg Olson at 5'10". So at 6'03", I am taking Julian Edelman. Um, luckily, I have the person to speak about wide receivers too, 
right here in front of me, right now, it's Matt Harmon. Matt Harmon, did I make a mistake drafting Julian Edelman over the likes of Dante Moncrief, Emmanuel Sanders, Randall Cobb, Brandon Marshall, those guys? So, well, first let me say, it's, it's lovely to be here with you, Josh. Yes. This is just a wonderful occasion to be face-to-face with you. This is for the first time. Let's let the people know. First time you and I, as longtime internet pals, are here together in the flesh. And so I had to whip up my phone and record a podcast. You're immediately making this a work thing, which is nice. I get where our friendship really lies. But anyways, to your point, so this is a, this is best ball, right, in MFL yes. 10. So I think players, it's funny that both of your players really represent, in Tyreek Hill and Julian Edelman, both represent, like, something that I think is really important with fantasy is that making your picks kind of go together. And I think that we know Julian Edelman is going to be, you know, a consistent week-to-week producer. And I I mean, I have said throughout the offseason that if someone else out there wants to guess when the Edelman-Brady mind meld is going to end, good luck to you. I'm not going to be that guy. And then especially that they just gave him an extension and in reception perception, which I don't know if you've ever heard of, but it's a thing that I do. Well, and there's also a receptionperception.com. Hypothetically, if you were to go to receptionperception.com and there was a picture of a goofball with glasses and like a well-manicured hair and beard. Right. The beard is a little subpar because for some reason they used a picture of me from two years ago. Uh, and you p- hovered your mouse over it and you clicked to purchase the thing, uh, you would be able to buy access to all of the receiver data you ever thought you could ever need. And so what I do, you know, I chart routes and I chart how often they get open on each particular route against all different kinds of coverage. But Edelman Profiles is like one of the better slot receivers out there. Even this last year where he, had, I feel like he got more targets than they really would want. Uh, he had a lot more air yards than I think they would want because they didn't really have a consistent outside receiver there in New England. Gronk was in and out of the lineup. They had Malcolm Mitchell, who I'm a big fan of, but he didn't come on till kind of later in the season. Chris Hogan was a little bit sporadic. So I think now with Brandon Cooks there, it will free things up for Edelman, but I still think Edelman is going to be a consistent week-to-week producer. I, I, I just cannot tell myself the story where he gets under 130 targets. So yeah. in a best ball league, you know, whether it's point per reception, I think he gives you a week-to-week floor. Now, I don't ever want to be in a situation like where you were, where you took Tyreek Hill as your first wide receiver. I, I really am uncomfortable. I would only want to take Tyreek Hill if I had taken, like, two wide receivers beforehand. And he was- so, so starting three running backs, you would not do? No, I would never. I would never personally do that. But at the same time, I'm a big Tyreek Hill fan as a player. Um, I put out a graph recently. If you do search the hashtag reception perception on Twitter, a lot of people have made the comparison that he's like the next Cordero Patterson and it's just an atrocious comparison now you Josh you have followed me for a long time unfortunately for you uh, you 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 know that I was I think you followed me first but that's oh, neither well, here there no I've, I've followed you since I was like a junior in college like drinking outrageously terrible rum off the bottom shelf so yeah, one of us is getting the short end of the straw here. But anyways, my my point in all this is, you know at one point I was really positive on Cordero Patterson. but uh, we, we all love shiny things at one point. But through reception perception, you know, I charted him as like the second player I'd ever charted. And there's a really long point I can get out of this, but I know I'm supposed to be brief here, which is not my strength. Uh, but 
now looking back with three years of context, like his rookie year data is terrible as a route runner. I mean, I was excited about it at the time, but I didn't really know what I was working with then. So looking at him with like a 49% success rate versus man coverage, Tyree Kill is like a 72%. It's uh, it's not even close as a route runner. I realize Hill has some room to grow, but I think Hill showed as a rookie in the limited glimpses where we saw him running traditional routes that he can absolutely be a full-time receiver. And I think the Chiefs have made clear they're going to try to have him do that. So I think Hill is going to have a really low weekly floor, but a really high weekly ceiling, you know, if he is just – if he doesn't take any steps as a wide receiver. But at the same time, I'm really in on him taking that next step. Like any analysis of Tyreek Hill that just says he can't repeat the efficiency of his rookie year, that does nothing for me. Like, don't even speak if that's what you're going to say, uh, essentially, because you're not offering any potential for growth, and there's a lot of potential for growth with Hill. I think he showed that on his rookie year film. Since I have the master here, I'm going to ask him a few more questions. Okay. So I still need to stack up on wide receivers, obviously, since I only have two on the roster. Uh, in rounds seven, eight, I've been targeting players like Deshaun Jackson, like Adam Thielen. Do you have any others in that area who you like? So I know in MFL 10s, like Stefan Diggs is never there. He, I'm a big fan of him. Willie Sneed is a guy that I love. He's probably off the board in this situation. Um, and when you go that far, I, I, I still, I mean, John Brown is, is, is one of my guys. You know that. Uh, and look, the opportunity is all laid out for Brown this year. Outside of Larry Fitzgerald, they don't have any established weapons in the passing game. And Brown's trajectory was clearly pointing upwards until last year where he had all these health issues. You know, his reception perception scores were down from his previous standards, but those previous standards were, you know, 80th percentile and above in terms of reception perception history. So he's a guy I'm clearly in on. I think Pierre Garçon is the perfect example of a player that has a ton of opportunity. I mean, his situation right now looks so similar to the uh, 2013 Washington team that went 3-13 and and he led the league in targets. He could easily be in that situation again this year, but also he's really good. I mean, his 2016 season in reception perception was fantastic. So there's a lot of wide receivers in that area that I, I, I'm pretty intrigued with. And I believe John Brown is still going in the same range as like a Will Fuller. We'll see if that happens when I select. So we know which one Matt will pick of those. And so if you see John Brown end up on this team, you know why. Thanks, Matt. Back in the cave here. Thanks again to Jordan Rodrigue of the Charlotte Observer covering the Carolina Panthers and obviously Matt Harmon of Reception Perception. I mean, you can find all of Matt's work on receivers in the Ultimate Draft Kit over at the fantasyfootballers.com. Be sure to check out both of their work. Um, as my dog tries to get in the picture here, uh, once again, this is completely off the rails already. When at 7:10, Matt pointed out guys like Pierre Garcon, John Brown. I'm a bit smitten here at 7:10 with Deshaun Jackson, and like I said, it's kind of a similar situation to Tyreek Hill in that we don't know exactly what to expect from Deshaun Jackson this year. With Hill, it's kind of a different role, most likely. And with Deshaun Jackson, it's a new team. A new team with Mike Evans out there, with O.J. Howard and Cameron Brait, and with a new quarterback, a new system. I'm excited to see what Deshaun Jackson can do uh, because I truly think that he's one of the 
true playmakers in his style, and it's a style that is not very deep across the NFL. You know, I think it's a it's a very narrow and and shallow pool of players like Deshaun Jackson. Last year, he had. Just, what, 56 catches for 1,000 yards and four touchdowns. He hasn't scored more than six touchdowns in a season the last three years. That's a bit concerning. But, again, when Matt discussed, and I think that it's what we all kind of keep in mind here with drafting, we play off of our already previous picks. And so if Tyreek Hill was a bit of a high-variance player, then Julian Edelman is the opposite. I'm going to go Deshaun Jackson here as a bit high variance and then maybe go in the opposite direction with a Pierre Garçon or John Brown on the quick turnaround in 803 and kind of get someone that is a bit more sustainable week to week. See if it works out. All right. It is now Saturday, June 17th. I started this, as you know, on June 12th. Thanks to the beautiful tool of pre-draft lists. I had a pick made this morning for me at 8.30 a.m. I did not have to get up. Uh, I had put Pierre Garçon and John Brown, as per the advice of Matt Harmon, as my next two selections, or whoever was on the board, to take that one. John Brown off the board in between. So from 710 to 803, here are the picks. As you know, Deshaun Jackson was my selection at 710. 711, LeGarrette Blunt. 712, John Brown at the turn. Duke Johnson, 801. Zach Ertz, 802. And then so that means for me, 803 was Pierre Garcon. Look, we all know what young Shanahan does with his number one wide receiver, right? He force feeds him targets. And for any fantasy football skill position player other than quarterbacks, uh, targets are volume, right? And we like volume. Obviously, for running backs, it's carries. But volume trumps everything because it's opportunity. So for Pierre Garcon, he's had over 105 targets in each of the last three seasons. And yes, we know that Pierre Garcon is not Julio Jones, right? But over the last two years, again, with young Shanahan, Julio Jones had 203 targets in 2015 and 129 in 2016, even missed two games in those. Again, we're looking for volume here, which is targets. And after getting two high-variance players, again, in Tyreek Hill and Deshaun Jackson, I'm getting two volume players, theoretically, in Julian Edelman and Pierre Garçon. And that wraps up my top four wide receivers on this team. Feeling very, very good about it. Now I have to wait all the way until 9-10 to make the next collection. All right. Out on a walk in beautiful Charlotte, North Carolina, when pick 9-10 rolls around. I know I need another wide receiver, right? Four is not enough, especially when your first wide receiver is in round four. Um, There are two I really like still on the board. Adam Thielen and Kenny Britt. Um, We all know what Adam Thielen did last season, kind of come out of nowhere in terms of special teamer into bona fide wide receiver. And with Stephon Diggs' targets going down as the season went along, along with an injury, uh, Adam Thielen, I think his emergence is just going up. And then Kenny Britt. Kenny Britt continues to produce even despite playing with horrendous quarterbacks. And again, I'll say that, hey, maybe all of the Browns quarterbacks are better than all the ones on the Rams. But Kenny Britt, as I've spoken with Evan Silva in the past, we spoke with Reeves and Pat on the podcast last week. Kenny Britt's probably the most underrated and underappreciated fantasy football pick right now. But at 9-10, 
I'm going with the tight end because I think there's a huge drop off after this tight end. In fact, OJ Howard just went off the board, but Delaney Walker is still sitting there at 9-10. I know, yes, two tight ends in the top nine selections. I took Greg Olson at 5-10, which I'm shocked he's still on the board. But I would say the same thing for Delaney Walker. I know Delaney Walker turns 33 before the season starts sometime in August. But three straight years after turning 30 of 100-plus targets, including a ridiculous 2015 season. And again, we talked about this in the podcast last week. But I know that the Titans added so many different passing options, receiving options this offseason. But Delaney Walker is still the consistent member. I feel comfortable, you know, betting and wagering that one of those two receivers, Adam Thielen and Kenny Brett, will still be there at 10.03. And then at 9.10, as this dog barks at me while I'm on this walk, we're going with Delaney Walker. Cross your fingers. And the gamble paid off. I knew at one pick ahead of mine, both Adam Thielen and Kenny Britt were on the board. 10.02 went Thielen, then my pick at 10.03 was once again Kenny Britt. And it makes a lot of sense. We covered it on the podcast last week. If you want to go back and listen to that, I know that Evan Silva, Rich Rebar, a number of people believe that Kenny Britt will outscore Corey Coleman in all formats this season. And just to compare the two, in this class and in this draft, Corey Coleman went at 8-12, and somehow Kenny Britt was still on the board at 10-03. So if you're listening to this and his ADP is still in that late 9 to early 10 range, maybe even later than that, grab him. In terms of a wide receiver of that value, I don't think you're going to get a better one out there. So just to recap, we start off with three running backs, Sean McCoy at 110. Jay Ajayi at 203, Isaiah Crowell at 310. Then we had a run of pass catchers, Tyreek Hill, Greg Olson, Julian Edelman, Deshaun Jackson, Pierre Garçon, and Delaney Walker, followed by Kenny Brett. So there's the first 10 picks. Obviously, no quarterbacks. I have no concerns about that. I'll probably double up with a few names. Uh, guys like Ben Roethlisberger are still on the board, Kirk Cousins, Matthew Stafford, so on and so forth. So hopefully I can get one in my next couple of selections, double up there, maybe even take one late, um, and then obviously we'll wait until defenses. So this is the first 10 selections. I might go a bit rapid fire because this is getting a little longer than I was expecting it to. But I, I feel good where things are at. It was a long wait from 10.03 to 11-10, and practically all the quarterbacks went off the board. I mentioned Roethlisberger, I mentioned Cousins, and I mentioned Matthew Stafford. All gone. All gone. There was really no one left in the next tier, so I I, I didn't want to reach. And to me, there's one more quarterback kind of left in that tier, and it's Phillip Rivers. I I didn't want to wait until the Tyrod, Andy Dalton section of these quarterbacks Carson Palmer yet and Philip Rivers you know this is another team that's added pass catchers theoretically has improved the offensive line and I still think that Philip Rivers is one of the more underrated quarterbacks in the last five to seven years now it's not like I am saying that Philip Rivers is definitely going to finish as a quarterback one but all I'm looking for here 
is to have quarterback one weeks, top 12 scoring weeks out of Phillip Rivers. And he's definitely going to offer me that. Now, I just have to find another quarterback a little bit later on that will also give me quarterback one weeks and mesh them together in the hopes of ultimately having a top 10 scoring quarterback. That's what we're doing here with late round quarterbacks, rounds 10 plus. And here at 1110 is Phillip Rivers. That noise you might hear beside me is my dog Zap snoring. It's late at night making this selection at 12.03. And I thought I was dreaming, to be perfectly honest, that this player is still on the board. Obviously, I still have a wide receiver need. Need to add some more depth there. Guys that can, again, be high variance or be consistent week-to-week scorers. So how about adding theoretical top wide receiver on their own team at pick 1203, and that is Quincy Anunua. At the time of making this pick, his ADP is like 111, and I'm drafting him in the 130s. That's incredible value. And look, Anunua solely is a slot receiver, right? We saw him do that last year for the most part. But the whole scope of this passing game is completely changed. I'm not saying I'm an advocate for investing in the Jets' offense this year. I like Bilal Powell as a player. I obviously like Quincy Anunua. Hey, even Austin Safarian Jenkins as a late, late, late tight end is fine. But this is great value. Again, and I'm, I'm guessing the situation is making a lot of people stay away. But we know he's going to get volume in the form of targets. Completely cool with this. Completely cool with him being, what, my fifth wide receiver? Love it. 1203 is an easy selection, a quick one, and it's Quincy Anunua. So I think from here on out, I'm going to do two picks in a row, and it's going to be the turn. It's going to be the 10 and the 3. Um, it was a long wait, obviously, from 1203 to 1310. Some target players like Jonathan Stewart, Carson Palmer, Eli Manning, Kenny Stills went off the board. Some might see this as a reach, but I know in his ADP, he was kind of lower down the list in the running back list than I was expecting. And I know that I took three running backs early, right? But I, I still am going to pick players that I think could have big seasons, could have major roles. And I truly think that Darren Sproles could have that right now, this year, with the Philadelphia Eagles. I know that LeGarrette Blount has been brought in and is going to score touchdowns. He's going to be the short yardage guy. But whenever Doug Peterson talks about running backs, he talks about passing down ability. And who has the best passing down ability on the team? It is Darren Sproles. So I think at 13-10, again, maybe a bit of a reach, but that's, that's a pick 154. I'm perfectly fine with that. I even think his ADP at times has hovered around 140, 145. So again, Darren Sproles here. Adding on to those top three picks at running backs makes a lot of sense. And then at 14.03, gosh, like I just mentioned, all those quarterbacks went off the board. Andy Dalton, Carson Palmer, Eli Manning. So at 14.03, I felt like I had to get the quarterback that I felt was the top in the next group. That next group consisted of Carson Wentz, Sam Bradford, Blake Bortles, But I'm going to start off that tier with Ryan Tannehill. Uh, This is an offense that, again, in previous podcasts we've discussed, so go back and listen to those, that Jarvis Landry might not necessarily be that target monster each and every week like he's been in the past. I I doubt that he's going to see 10 to 15 targets each and every week like he was in, what, 2015 and started 2016 that way. Instead, they're going to spread it out. They're going to focus on the running game and take vertical shots with Devontae Parker and Kenny Stills. And these 
added weapons, maybe a better offensive line. I think Ryan Tannehill can have a very, very solid season. So I'm going to pair him with Phillip Rivers and hopefully end up with a top 10 score at the position. Back at the turn again, and man, all the targets went off the board. <laughs> all of them. Uh, I-, I was hoping like J.J. Nelson would be there at 15-10. Nope. He went at pick 170, which is 15.02. Rex Burkhead, 15.06. That's 174. <sighs> Even like Tavon Austin went at 168. That's 14.12. So I guess, look, I don't like any of the receivers on the board right now. I just don't. Not at this area. And I know I need to keep adding to that group, but I can't right here. Like, I'm not going to force it with anyone that's still there. So at 178, 15.10. I'm taking Jacquez Rogers. Look, maybe after week three, he is no longer fantasy relevant, but he's under 30 years old. We know in those first three weeks of the season, at least we can assume that he will get the lion's share, the bulk of the workload. I mean, we saw last year he had games of what, like 25 plus carries, 25 plus touches. It's absolutely insane. I know that they really, really are counting on Doug Martin this year, and I'm not disputing that. I have plenty of shares of Doug Martin, but Jacquez Rogers, at least through weeks one through three is going to be very relevant. So I'm going to select him here at 178. And then at 1603, look, a few defenses have already gone off the board. Uh, 169 at 1501 was Seattle Seahawks. That was the first one off the board. No, sorry. 158, that's 1402 for the Denver Broncos. That's the first one off the board. 169, 1501. Seattle Seahawks were the second off the board. Houston Texans at... 172, which is 1504. That's the third. The fourth one was at the 12th pick of the 15 round, the last pick. That's 180. And so I guess I'm going to take the fifth defense. And to me, that's the Carolina Panthers at 1603, which is pick 183. I feel really good about the Panthers' defense this year. I know they have a lot of band-aids on the outside in terms of edge rushers, but it's plenty of rotation. We know the type of interior pressure they can create with KK and Star. And honestly, I would look for Vernon Butler to possibly start over Star Latulale this year. We know about their linebacker core. I think they have one of the best pairs of young corners in the league. Look out for James Bradbury. Then you fix kind of the tackling and being in the correct position with old man Mike Adams. The Panthers, in terms of being creating turnovers, creating sacks, those are what gives us points, right? I think they'll do it in 2017. I feel confident with them taking defense here. Okay, I did something crazy. You thought starting off with three running backs was crazy? Get a load of this. I told you I needed to add some wide receivers. But then after 1603, here are the wide receivers that went off the board. Marquise Lee at... 188, Malcolm Mitchell at 190, Robbie Anderson at 195, Chris Hogan at 198, Paul Richardson at 201. And there's still no one on the board right now to me. It's someone I want to invest in, someone I think is worthy of this slot. So I'm going to turn it right back around and take another defense, right? Why not go with the Los Angeles Chargers, a team, again, that has edge rushers, that can create pressure, that can create turnovers. And I know Reeves has talked about them countlessly as one of his favorite plays in best ball leagues right now. I think the Chargers have a chance of being a top five defense when it's all said and done at the end of the season. So I didn't stop there, though. (laughs) Perhaps I was on Twitter a bit too much. 
during this time. Fantasy ADHD on Twitter, you can follow him. And also Beer Makers fan, Chris Prince, both of Roto Grinders fame, have discussed the idea of selecting three defenses in best ball leagues. Only like 1% of teams have three defenses on them. 1% of drafters are selecting three defenses. Some might call it absolutely insane. I would not disagree with you. Some might call it a market inefficiency and an area that you can capitalize on. And to me, the best pick to make here is actually another defense. I wasn't expecting them to be on the board, but the Atlanta Falcons are still there. Again, a team that can create disruption and a team that can create turnovers. We saw them rack up and win people millions of dollars last year, right? In terms of pick sixes, turnovers, sacks, still a young defense that's growing and and getting better. So I, I actually think I ended up taking the fifth defense, the eighth defense, and the ninth defense in this draft. And again, let me reiterate that this is not a redraft league. This is a best ball league, right? So I am taking chances, things I would not do in a regular league because I know I can just pick up defenses week to week. I can't do that in this one. Just trying out strategies. Just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. So at this turn, once again, it was the Chargers defense at 202 and the Falcons defense at 207. And now I'm going to think about what I just did. I need to close this out with at least one wide receiver. And a few went off the board. Uh, Laquan Treadwell, 209. Braxton Miller at 217. Alan Hearns at 220. The only one that makes any sense to me is Kenny Galladay, the obviously Lions recent draft pick. So I'm going to take him here at 1910 at pick 226. We don't know what his role is going to be, right? But we know that there is an opening in the Lions offense for a third receiving option, well, third wide receiver, I should say. This is a team that ran so much 11 personnel last year and didn't add another pass catcher, really. Maybe Anquan Bolden comes back. Who knows? But at this point in the process, Kenny Galladay is creating a lot of buzz, and they have already liked what they've seen. They took him much higher than anyone was expecting. So I I think he's going to have an immediate role. Maybe it's on the outside and Golden Tate moves inside, something like that. But I I, I do think that in terms of trying to take a swing and trying to get a producer, looking for roles and opportunities is what we're here for. And I think Kenny Galladay might have that. And let's close it out here. I didn't take a wide receiver, didn't take another tight end, don't worry, didn't take another defense. That'd be a little overboard, don't you think? Um, I'm going to go with another quarterback. I I know that at the end of the day, when we're just looking at bulk points, quarterbacks create the most, right? I mean, just on the surface level and as plain, as simple as it can be. This isn't a good quarterback necessarily, but he's in a good system with a coach that understands how to spread out defenses, right? And create mismatches and theoretically might make some things easier. And this guy has starting experience. And to have and to find a starter in the very last round and really no one that is backing him up that's a threat to take that spot, Brian Hoyer makes a lot of sense. So, yes, looking at my roster, drafting after the 10th round, Philip Rivers and Ryan Tannehill, I'm not supremely confident in that combo. So why not add another quarterback? And to close it out here, it is Brian Hoyer. So that's it. 
Thanks so much for listening. Hopefully you got something from this more than me embarrassing myself with this draft. Hopefully that wasn't the conclusion. Uh, If you like this podcast at all, this specific episode that was out of the ordinary, be sure to subscribe to the Road to Road Football podcast. Or if you want to be my best friend, you can leave a five-star review, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, whatever platform you want to use. It really does help us out. Obviously, this is kind of the dead period of football season. We're really going to amp things up as we go along late July, all of August, get you ready for your drafts. And to conclude, this is what the roster looked like on mine. Phillip Rivers, Ryan Tannehill, Brian Hoyer as the three quarterbacks, LaShawn McCoy, Jay Ajayi, Isaiah Crowell, Darren Sproles, and Jacquez Rogers. Then we have Tyreek Hill, Deshaun Jackson, Julian Edelman, Kenny Britt, Pierre Garçon, Quincy Anunua and Kenny Galladay at wide receiver, Greg Olson, Delaney Walker at tight end, and then finally, yes, those three defenses, the Panthers, the Falcons, and the Chargers. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you want to check out my work, it's at Josh Norse on Twitter, and be on the lookout for much more content headed your way, and let me know what you think. Talk to you all soon. See ya.